This is the third chapter of The Hunger Games, and before I start reading, um, if you would like to, um, would you please follow along with, on, with the copy of The Hunger Games. You can go on Libby or Hoopla or any other app, too. It's just, yeah. So, I'm going to start. The moment the anthem ends, we are taken into custody. I don't mean we are handcuffed or anything, but a group of peacekeepers marches us through the front door of the Justice Building. Maybe tributes have tried to escape in the past. I've never seen that happen, though. Once inside, I am conducted into a room and left alone. It's the richest place I've ever seen. With thick, deep carpets and velvet couch and chairs. I know velvet because my mother has a dress with a collar made of the stuff. When I sit on the couch, I can't help running my fingers over fabric repeatedly. It helps me. It helps calm me as I try to prepare for the next hour. At the time allotted for tributes to say goodbye to their loved ones. I cannot afford to get upset, to leave this room with puffy eyes and a red nose. Crying is not an option. There will be more cameras at the train station. My sister and mother come first. I reach out to Prim as she climbs on my lap and her, and her arms around my neck and her head on my shoulder, just like she did when she was a toddler. My mom sits beside me and wraps her arms around us. For a few minutes, we say nothing, and I start telling them all the things they must remember to do now that I will not be there to do it for them. Prim is not to take any tessery. They can get by if they're careful. On selling Prim's goat milk and cheese and small apothecary business that my mother runs for us now for the people in the scene. Gail will get the her, her herbs she doesn't grow for herself. She must be very careful to describe them because he's not familiar with them as I am. He also will bring them game. He will. He and I made a pact about this a year or so ago, and it will probably not ask for compensation. But they should thank him with some kind with some kind of trade like milk or medicine. I don't bother suggesting Prim learn how to hunt. I tried to teach her a couple times. It was disastrous. It was disastrous. The woods terrified her. And when I shot something, she, she'd get tearing and talk about how we might be able to kill it if we got home soon enough. But she makes out wow, well with her goat, and so I concentrate on that. When I'm done with instructions about fuel and trading I, I, and staying in school, I turn my mother, I turn to my brother, mother and grip her arm hard. Listen to me. Are you listening to me? She nods, alarmed by my intensity. She must know what's coming. You can't leave again, I say. My mother's eyes find the floor. I know, I won't. I couldn't help what. Well, you have to help this time. You have to help it this time. You can't just clock out and leave Prim on her own. There's no mean now to keep you both alive. It doesn't matter what happens. Whatever you do, whatever you see on the screen, you must promise that you'll fight it. You'll fight through it. My voice has risen to a shout. In all of its anger, the fear I feel at her ban- banishment. She pulls my arm from my. She pulls her arm from my grasp, moved to anger herself. Now I was ill, and I could have treated myself if I had the medicine I have now. The part of her being ill might be true. I've seen her bring back people from suffering by a mosaizing sadness since. Since. Perhaps it's sickness, but the one it's the one thing we can't afford. Then take it I d- and take care of her, I say. I'll be, I'll be all right, Katniss, says Prim, clasping my face in her hands. But you have to take care, too. You're so fast and brave. Maybe you can win. I can't win. Prim must know that in her heart. 
The competition will be far beyond my abilities. Kids from wealthier districts, where winning is a huge honor, who have been trained their whole lives for this. Boys who are two or three times my size. Girls who know 20 different ways to kill you with a knife. Oh, there'll be people like me, too. People to weed out before the real fun begins. Maybe, I say, because I can hardly tell my mother to carry on if I've already given up on myself. Besides, it isn't my nature to go to go down without a fight. Even when things are insurmountable, we'll be as rich as Hamish. I don't care for rich. I just want you to come home. You'll try, won't you? Really, really try, asked Prim. Really, really try, I swear, I say. And I know because of Prim, I'll have to. And then the peacekeeper opens the door, signaling our time is up, and we are hugging one another so hard it hurts, and I am saying, I love you, I love you both. Then they're saying it back, and the peacekeeper orders them out of the room, and the door closes. I bury my head in one of the velvet pillows, as if this could block out the whole thing. Someone else enters the room when I look up. I am surprised it's the baker, Peter Malark's father. I can't believe he's come to visit me. After all, I'll be trying to kill his father, kill his son soon. But we know each other a bit. He knows Prim even better. When she sells her, her. When she sells her goat cheese at the hob, she puts two of them aside for him and gives him, and he gives her a generous amount of bread in return. We always wait to trade with him when his witch of a wife isn't around because he's so much nicer. I feel certain that he would never have hit his son the same the way she did over burned bread. But why isn't she come? To, but why has he come to see me? The baker sits awkwardly in the edge of. On the edge of one of the plush chairs, he's a big, broad-shouldered man with a burn scars from years at the ovens. He must have just said goodbye for, to his son. He pulls out a white paper package from his jacket and holds it out to me. I find I open it and find cookies. These are a luxury we can never afford. Thank you, I say. The baker's not a very talkative man in the best in the best of times, and today he has no words at all. I had some of your bread this morning. My friend Gail gave you a squirrel for it. He nods, as if remembering the squirrel. Not your best trade, I say. He shrugs, as if he couldn't, as it could possibly matter. And then I can't think of anything else, so we sit in silence until a peacemaker summons him. He rises and coughs to clear his throat. I'll keep an eye on the little girl. Make sure she's eating. I feel some pressure and my chest laying at his words. People deal with me, but they're genuinely fond of Prim. Maybe there'll be enough fondness to keep her alive. My nest, my next guest is also unexpected. Madge walks straight in, straight to me. Uh, she's not weeping or sent or intensive. Instead, she's urgently, or she, there's an urgency about her in her tone that surprises me. They let you wear one thing from your district in the arena. The one thing to remind you of home. Will you wear this? She holds out the circular gold pin that was on her dress earlier. She hadn't paid. I hadn't paid much attention to it before, but now I see it's a small bird in flight. Your pin, I say, wearing token for my district is about the last thing on my mind. Here, I'll put it on your dress. All right. Madge doesn't wait for an answer. She leans and fixes the bird on my dress. Promise you'll wear it in the arena, Katniss. She asks, promise, yes, I say, cookies, a pin, I'm getting all kind of gifts today. Madge gives me one more, a kiss on a cheek. Then she's gone, I'm left alone thinking maybe Madge really has been my friend all along. Finally, Gail is here, maybe 
There is nothing romantic between us, but he opens his arms and I don't hesitate to go into them. His body's familiar to me. The way it moves, the smell of wood smoke, even the sound of his heart beating. I know I know from quiet moments on a hunt, but this is the first time I really feel it. Lean uh, and hard-muscled against my own. Listen, he says, getting a knife should be pretty easy, but you've got your, you got to get your hands on a bow. That's your best chance. They don't always have bows, I say, thinking of the year where there was only horrible spiked maces that the tributes had to bludgeon each other to death with. Then make one, says Gail. Even a weak bow is better than no bow at all. I've tried copying my father's bows before with poor results. It's not that easy. Even to have to scrap his own work sometimes. He even had to scrap his own work sometimes. I don't even know if there'll be wood, I say. Another year they tossed everyone into a landscape of nothing but boulders and sand and scruffy bushes. I particularly hated that year. Many contestants were bitten by venomous snakes and went insane from thirst. There is always some wood, says Gail. Since that year, half of them died of cold. Not much entertainment there. In that, it's true. We spent 100 games watching the players freeze to death at night. You could hardly see them because they were huddled in balls. They had no wood or fires or torches or anything. It was considered very anticlimactic in the capital. All those quiet, blood with bloodless deaths. Since there's usually been fire, there's since then there's usually been wood to make fires. Yes, there's usually some. I say. Katniss, it's just hunting. You're the best hunter I know, says Gail. It's not just hunting, they're armed. They think, I say. So do you, and you've had more practice. Real practice, he says. You know how to kill. Not people, I say. How different can it be, really, says Gail grimly. The awful thing is I can't. that if I can forget their people, it will be no different at all. The peacekeepers are back too soon, and Gail asks for more time, but they're taking it out. I start to panic. Don't let them starve, I say, clinging to his hand. I won't, I won't, you know I won't. Katniss, remember, I... He says, they yank us apart and slam the door. I know I'll never know what he wanted me to remember. It's a short ride from the Justice Building to the train station. Never been in a car before. Barely even ridden in wagons. In the scene, we'd only travel on foot. I've been right not to cry. The station is swarming with reporters and inside light cameras trained directly onto my face. I've had, but I've had a lot of practice of wiping my face clean of emotions, and I do this now. I catch a glimpse of my glimpse of myself on television screen. The wall, the wall that is airing my arrival live. I feel gratified that I appear almost bored. Peter Mullark, on the other hand, has obviously been crying, and interestingly enough, it doesn't seem like I'll be trying to cover it up. I immediately wonder if this will be his strategy in the games. To appear weak and frightened. To reassure all the other tributes that he is n- that he is no competition at all. And then come out fighting. This worked very well for a girl, Joanna Mason, from District 7. A few years back, she seemed like such a sniveling, cowardly fool that no one even bothered about her until there was only a handful of con- contestants left. It turns out she could kill viciously. Pretty clever, the way she played it. But it seems odd... Aw- an odd strategy for Peter Mullark since he's a baker's son. All those years having t- enough to eat and hauling bread trays around may have made him broad shouldered and strong. That will it will take an awful lot of weeping to convince anyone to overlook him. We have to stand for a few minutes in the doorway of the train while cameras gobble up our images, and then we're allowed inside the doors mercifully and the doors mer- 
closed mercifully behind us, the train begins to move at once. The speed initially takes my breath away. Of course, I've never been on a train, as travel between the districts is forbidden, ex except for officially situated duties. For us, that's mainly transporting, transporting coal. This is no ordinary coal train. It's one of the high-speed capital models that average 250 miles per hour. Our journey on the capital will take less than a day. In school, they tell us that the capital was built in a place once known as the Rockies. District 12 is a region known as Appalachia. Even hundreds of years ago, they mined coal here, which is why our miners have to dig so deep. Somehow, it all comes back to coal at school. Besides, basic reading and math is most of our instruction is coal related. Expect for weekly for the weekly lecture of on the history of Panem. It's mostly a lot of blather that we owe the capital. I know that there must be more than they're telling us. An actual account what happened during the rebellion. I don't spend much time thinking about this. Whatever the truth is, I don't see how it will help me get food for on the table. The tribute train is fancier than the room that in the justice building. We are each given our own chambers that have a bedroom, a dressing area, and a private bathroom with hot and cold running water. We don't have a hot water at home unless we boil it. There are drawers filled with fine clothes, and Effie Trinket tells me to do anything. Tells me to do anything I want, wear anything I want, especially if it's at my disposal. Just be ready for supper in an hour. I peel off my mother's brood dress and take a hot shower. I've never, I've never had a shower before. It's like being in summer rain, only warmer. I dress in a dark green shirt and pants. At the last minute, I remember Madge's gold little, little gold pin. For the first time, I get a good look at it. It's as if someone fashioned a small, uh, I, fashioned a small golden bird and then attached a ring around it. The bird's connected to the ring by the birds connected to the ring only by its wing tips i suddenly recognize it a mockingjay they're funny birds and then something of a slap on the face to the capital during the rebellion the capital bred a series of genetically altered animals as weapons they are a common term for the word mutations or sometimes mutts for short when it was one was a special bird called a jabberjay that had the ability to memorize and repeat whole human conversations. They were homing birds, exclusively male, and they were released into regions by the, where the capital enemies were known to be hiding. After the birds gathered, gathered words, they'd fly back to the centers to be recorded. They took people, it took people a while to realize what was going on in the districts and how private conversations were being transmitted. But then, of course, the rebels fed the capital endless lives and the joke was on it so centers of it were shut down and the birds were abandoned to die off in the wild only did they didn't die off instead the jabberjays mated with female mockingjays creating a whole new species that could replicate both bird whistles and human melodies they had lost the ability to enunciate words but they could still mimic a range of human vocal sounds from a child's high-pitched laughter warble to a man's deep tones they could recite songs, not just a few notes, but whole songs with multiple verses. You had to, if you had to, the patience to sing them and if they liked your voice. My father was particularly fond, fond of mocking jays. When he went, when we went hunting, he would whistle or sing complicated songs to them, not after a polite pause. They'd always sing back. 
Not everyone was treated with such respect, but when my father sang, all the birds in the, re- in the area would fall silent and listen. His voice was that beautiful, high and clear, and filled with so much life that made you want to laugh and cry at the same time. I could never bring myself to continue the practice after he was gone. Still, there was something comforting about the little bird. Having It's like having a piece of my father with me, protecting me. I fastened the pin on my shirt and with the dark green fabric as a background. I can almost imagine the mockingjay flying through the trees. Effie Trinket comes to collect me for supper. I follow her through the narrowed rocking corridor in the into the dining room with polished paneled walls. Through the table where all the dishes are highly breakable. Peter Malek sits waiting for us and the chair next to him is empty. Where's Hamish? asked Effie brightly. Last time I saw him, he was going to take a nap, says Peter. Well, it's been an exhausting day, says Effie Trinket. I think she's relieved by Hamish's absence. Who can who can blame her? The supper comes in courses. A thick carrot soup, green salad, lamb chops, and mashed potatoes. Cheese fruit in fruit, a chocolate cake. Throw that out the meal. Throughout the meal, Effie Trinket keeps reminding us to have space because there's more to come. I'm always stuffing myself because I've never had food like this. So good and so much. Because it's the best thing I ever, I can ever do between now and the games is put on a few ta- pounds. At least you two have decent manners, says Effie, as we're finishing the main course. The pair last year ate everything with their hands, like a couple of savages. Completely upset my distinction. The pair last year were two kids from the team who never not a day in their lives had enough to eat, and when they did have food, table manners were surely the last thing on their minds. Pete is the baker's son. My mother taught Prim and me to eat properly, so yes, I can handle a fork and knife, but I hate Effie Trinket's comment. With so comment so much I make a point of eating the rest of my meal with my fingers. I wipe my hands on the tablecloth. This makes her purse her lips tightly together. Now I now that the meal is over, I keep fighting to keep the food down. I can see Peter looking a little green too. Neither of us neither our stomachs are used to so much rich fare. But if I can hold down Greasy State's contraction of mice, meat, pig entrails, and tree bark, a winter specialty, I'm determined to hang on to this. We go into another compartment and watch the recap of the reapings across Panem. We, they try to stagger them throughout the day so a person could constantly watch the whole thing live. Only people in the capital could really do that themselves, since none of them have to attend reapings themselves. One by one, we see the other... We see the other reapings and the names called out, the volunteers stepping forward, or more often not. We examine the faces of the kids who will be our competition. If you stand out in my mind, a monstrous boy who lunges forward to volunteer from District 2, a fox-faced girl with sleek red hair from District 5, a, gr- a boy with crippled foot from District 12, and most hauntedly, a 12-year-old girl from District 11. She has dark brown skin and eyes but other than that she's very she's very like prim in size and demeanor only when she mounts the stage when they ask for volunteers all you can hear is the wind whistling through the deceptive buildings around her there is no one willing to take her place last of all they show district 12 prim being called me running forward to volunteer you can't miss the desperation in my voice as i shove from behind me i'm afraid no one will hear that here and they'll take prim away but of course they do here. 
I see Gail pulling her off me and watch myself mount the stage. The commentators are not sure what to say about the crowd's refusal to applaud. The silent salute says that District 12 has always been a big backward, but the local customs have been charming. As if on cue, Hamish falls off the stage and they groan comically. Peter's name is John and he quietly takes his place. We shake hands and they cut the anth- to the anthem again and the program ends. Effie Trinket is disgruntled at the state of her wig was in. Your mentor has a lot to learn about presentation, a lot, a lot about televised behavior. Peter unexpectedly laughs. He was drunk, says Peter. He's drunk every year. Every day, I add. I can't help smirking a little. Effie Trinket makes it sound like Hamlet has just somewhat rough manners and can be corrected with a few tips from her. Yes, hisses Effie. How odd you two find it amusing. You know your mentor is a lifetime to the world of these games. And no one and the one who advises you lines up your sponsors and dictates the presentation of any gifts. Hamish can well be the difference between your life and your death. Just then Hamish staggers into the compartment. I miss supper, he says with a slurred voice, and then he vomits all over the expensive carpet and falls into a mess. So laugh away, says Effie Trinket. She hops into a point in her pointy shoes and around the pool of vomit and flees from the room.